Shalom, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of the Magic Shulbus. My name is Michael Colasanti. I am a practitioner of hydocilocybin, LSD, and DMT. I am a Jew by choice, and I am traveling the United States in a school bus with my two dogs, seeking freedom, love, and transcendence. Please join us on this journey as we explore life, consciousness, divine creation, and everything in between. The story I'm about to share with you took place on May 5th, 2018, in what has since become known as the Cinco de Mayo trip. It is the only time that I have ever involved another person in my high-dose experiences, and it is still one of the most terrifying ordeals I have ever been through inside the psychedelic state. To recap a little bit, I had been experimenting with LSD the last couple of years from the summer of 2015 up to the summer of 2017. And then in the late summer of 2017, had my first high-dose psilocybin experience, which went wonderfully well. Following that, I decided to take the winter of 2017-2018 off entirely. No psychedelics, no tripping, just a time to reflect and reset. In the spring of 2018, I picked up a quarter pound of psilocybin mushrooms of the Penis Envy variety, which are known for their strength and their quality, and I began planning and preparing. Now, in preparation for selecting a day to do this, um, I began looking at the weather. I always check the weather. I want to make sure that my trips coincide with warm evenings, no rain, clear skies, all those types of things. And the weekend of May 5th looked perfect. A couple of days before May 5th, I had been in communication with a close friend of mine, one of my oldest, dearest brothers, a guy by the name of Travis. Now, Travis is a warrior. Travis is a Viking. He's about five foot six, 190 pounds of pure muscle. He's a power lifter, archer, fisherman. He's an inspiration to me. He's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. He's very academic. Travis is one of those people that you want in your circle because he elevates you and makes you a better person. And in the days leading up to my May 5th trip, I had been in communication with Travis and I had foolishly extended an invite to him. Now, this is in no way a slight against Travis. If anything, me inviting him along as far as I'm concerned, really demonstrated that I had a lot of faith and, and trust that he could handle the experience. Because there are very few people I would ever invite along to, to join in, in doses that we were about to take. And that's even why I mention his, his skills, his power lifting, because th the way Travis is built, the way he's put together, he's, he's of high caliber. He's a top shelf person. And in order to go into these realms, you have to be, you have to be solid. You have to be vetted. You have to be built. You cannot be weak-willed, weak-minded, of, of poor spirit and caliber. You cannot be built like that and go into doses north of 10 grams and expect to survive. Now, I had originally conceived the idea of taking an ounce for this particular 
experience on May 5th. But with Travis joining me, I decided that I would take the ounce, split it in half, and we would both take a half ounce, 14 grams for each of us, which is still a tremendous dose. Now, even though Travis had never taken doses anywhere near that size, he knew that what we were about to do was serious, that we were venturing into deep, dark water. And because my first quarter ounce experience went so well and with so little in the way of problems, I didn't realize, I didn't realize at the time how well I handled these experiences and I, and I just didn't realize the power that they contained. And I was about to learn the hard way never to invite someone along at doses like this ever again. So May 5th rolls around, Travis comes over my house, and we start to get everything prepared. Now, I was going to be testing out some new, um, some new techniques for this experience. I had just purchased a nice yoga mat. I was going to roll out. I had selected some relaxing meditation yoga type music to put on gently in the background. Because that, that is one thing about super high dose experiences. Conventional music at lower doses is fine. But when you start to get north of 7, 8, 9, 10 grams, putting on conventional music doesn't work anymore. And when I, when I say conventional music, I, I mean, I don't just mean four-piece bands. I mean conventional sound. It becomes too complicated, too hard to process, too confusing. The higher dose that you, that you climb, you really want to keep it simple. Ancient sounds, ohms, waterfalls, a lot, a lot of ambient stuff. That, that's, that serves the much better purpose in the higher realms. I didn't mention it uh, on, on the last podcast episode, but during my first quarter ounce experience, I, I tried putting on Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, because like that's trippy, right? And it's psychedelic. And like I, th- I just assume that's like what people listen, <laughs> listen to. And I put it on and it was so, it, it almost made me sick. It, 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 was, it, was, it was nauseating. And I love Dark Side of the Moon. But like my mind was so sharp and dialed in and I was so in the zone. I could hear the music without it even being on it was it was bizarre and so for this experience on may the 5th i decided to take a much simpler approach to sound now as i said travis and i were going to take 14 grams each it's a half ounce each and on this particular trip though i was going to deviate slightly from my tea making method now in my previous experience i had powderized the mushroom material and made a tea and then strained the material out. So all I had was the liquid. There, there, the mushroom material had been removed from the final tea. However, this experience, I wanted to test and see what would happen if I left the mushroom material in. I didn't, I didn't want to strain anything out. So I powderized the mushroom material in a coffee blender, coffee grinder, boiled some water, and I didn't even use tea packets this time. It was just straight hot mushroom water. And attempting to consume 14 grams of psilocybin mushrooms in 12 ounces of hot water, it was absolutely disgusting. Travis and I clinked glasses. 
And this was probably about 10 o'clock at night. I'm kind of a late doser. And we clinked glasses, and we managed to gulp this muddy, soupy mess down. Now, for me, that's the hardest part. The hardest part is when you're standing there, you're holding the tea, you're about to ingest the, the mushroom material, and you are trying to work up the courage to get it into your body. That is the hardest moment for me. I will tell you, I have had more than my fair share of nights where I have stood at my kitchen counter, held that tea in my hand, and found that I simply could not cultivate the strength or the courage to consume it. I have bitched out more than my fair share of times. But Travis and I clinked glasses, we downed the concoction, and, and then for me, that moment after you finish ingesting the material, that is my adrenaline goes through the roof because at that point you realize it's it's done it's too late like i'm locked in now you know i i am into this now it's too late to turn back and we are doing this and now it's just a matter of time of just waiting for it to, to kick in so after we finish ingesting the mushroom material i start to, to turn all the lights in the house off and when i trip i like it completely dark i turn all the lights off and I also, I'll go around throughout the house and I take tape and I will cover up every single light source. Everything from the, the time display on the stove and the microwave. If the electrical outlets have like a little GFI light on it or something, I cover that. I cover everything up because while in a sober state, these lights seem inconsequential. When you, when you venture into the psychedelic realms at at doses that 10 12 14 16 18 grams these lights are like spotlights that they are they're blinding they are so you your vision becomes so sensitive to light that even the tiniest most inconsequential light is very bright so i go i'm going around the house turning all the lights off making sure it's as dark as we're going to get it it's a beautiful May 5th evening. I live on a quiet dirt road on a, on a wooded lot. All the windows are open. You can hear the frogs, the crickets. You can hear it's springtime in Michigan. So, you know, life is, you can hear, you can feel the landscape coming back to life. And little did I know I was, going, I was in for one of the most terrifying experiences I was ever about to have. Now, again, this is the first time I'm doing this. I've never taken this dose before. I've never taken a half ounce. And in the previous couple of years of my experimentation with LSD and my small sample of experience with psilocybin, it, it was done alone for the most part. I, I didn't do this with other people. So there was a lot of firsts that were going to occur here in this particular evening. I want to say right up front here that I give Travis a lot of credit. I give that man a ton of credit. Because while he'd never done anything like this and he wasn't sure exactly what to expect, Travis had taken LSD, Travis had taken mushrooms. He he had I, I consider Travis a psychonaut, and he is he was experienced at this point. And he but he knew that what we were about to do was gonna be powerful. He knew that what we were doing was no fuck around was no joke and this speaks to his character because he went into it like a warrior 
that despite his fear, he clinked glasses with me and said, fuck it, if you're doing it, I'm doing it. Let's go, brother. And so I commend you, Travis, for your strength and your honor and your courage in the face of what was about to happen. So after dosing, we wander into the living room where we get situated and set up. I rolled my yoga mat out. I had a stereo system that I was going to play this ambient meditative music on. Now, I talked in the last episode about one of the biggest mistakes you can make with regard to the onset of the experience is to go and after you dose, lay on the couch, lay on your bed, curl up into a ball and just kind of pray the onset away. Just wait for it to pass, curl up in the fetal position and and hope it passes peacefully. It's one of the worst things you can do. You want to stretch, you want to breathe, you want to chant, you want to sing, you want to move. Anything you can do to move blood around the body, <clears throat> move energy around, oxygenate the blood, anything you can do to, to move that energy around is, is necessary, especially at doses like this. And this goes to show, this, this goes to show the, the, that there is a that just because you're good at doing something doesn't necessarily mean that you are certified to do it as an instructor or as a teacher. And this is where I was at at this point in my experience. I knew how to handle these experiences for myself and I could harness them and interpret them just fine. But to guide another person and to lead another person into these realms, I was not qualified and I was about to learn the hard way. But I instructed Travis, you know, I had a go lay on my couch, get comfortable, do whatever you want to do. I think, honestly, I was more concerned about myself and, you know, and how I was going to handle the onset. I, I just didn't think enough about taking care of him and making sure that, you know, he was set up appropriately so that he could handle this the right way. But I told him to go lay on the couch and get comfortable I got down on my yoga mat and began stretching and, and going through what what's now very a very standard routine that I go through. Now for the first half an hour or so, it's pretty quiet. And that's standard. You know, it, the, the, the psilocybin hasn't really interacted or kicked in with the body yet. And it's a slow, progressive rising in, in the feelings of what's going on. So at the first half an hour is pretty quiet, pretty peaceful. And I had been deceived and lulled into this false sense of comfort. The first half an hour, Travis is laying peacefully on the couch. Everything's okay. I'm okay. It's going to be a good night. Now, I'm very vocal when I, when I trip. I'm very vocal. I talk to myself a lot. I talk in third person. I sp there's like a, a voice that speaks through me. And psilocybin is incredibly vocal in and of itself. It does very interesting things to the, the parts of the brain that deal with speech. And th through the first 20 or 30 minutes, after I was done kind of stretching and, and, and chanting and whatnot, I started to move around the house a little bit. Again, all the lights are off, it's dark. This meditative music is peacefully playing throughout the house. The windows windows are open, you can hear you can hear nature outside. Beautiful May evening. And I'm moving about the house peacefully and just kind of thinking and talking, speaking out loud and 
starting to feel the onset, starting to feel the mushrooms work and, and, and start to kick on. I remember being in the kitchen and I was perched on the floor in like a catcher's position, sitting there on my haunches, just kind of, just, you know, experience, just kind of experiencing what was going on and feeling everything. And for a moment, I actually forgot that Travis was in the house. I forgot that he was there. And it occurred to me I should probably go in the living room and check on him and just make sure everything's okay. I did, even though my qualifications of being a guide were not where they should have been, I still knew enough to go and make sure and, and check on my friend. So I wandered into the living room, and I perched next to the couch, and Travis, Travis was laying there on his back. And he could feel my presence there, and he just said, This is fucking crazy, dude. This is fucking crazy. Now, at this point, what he was referring to is the visuals started to kick in. And for psilocybin, you know, the, the visions began very benign, very gentle, but they start as like a, a sort of colored static in your visual field. And in the dark, it's, it's, it's very noticeable and obvious, but it starts as sort of like a, a coalescence of, of static colors. It's very similar to when you're laying in bed in the darkness and you rub your eyes. You rub your eyes and you kind of start to see those patterns and, and weird colors and shapes and stuff like that. It, it's like that, sort of. But he was laying there and he, he was just kind of saying, This is fucking crazy, dude. This is fucking crazy. I said, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Isn't this wild? And at this point, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It seems like Travis is starting to interpret the experience. No problems. But again, we're not even 45 minutes in yet. So, I mean, this is just, this hasn't even begun yet. So I shift back over to my yoga mat, continue stretching and moving around. And as the mushrooms really start to take hold, the, the, the body buzz from mushrooms is very intense. I've never taken another drug or, or been subject to another drug experience that had the same type of body load that psilocybin carries. Not, not high-strength opioids, not LSD, not DMT, not ketamine. Nothing carries the, a body load quite like psilocybin. And it's, a, it's an amazing body load. It, it's like a vibrating. It's like a warm vibration. But as you creep into the higher doses, the vibrating becomes more and more intense. And like all other aspects of the psilocybin experience, it can be hard to handle. Now, at this point, I started to hear Travis kind of making some sounds, making some noises. He starts, he's, he's starting to moan a little bit. And it's vaguely coming across as, as distress. But, at this, but still nothing that's terribly alarming. I mean, this is... That's part of the experience, right? That's, I knew that, you know, it's going to happen. So again, I leave my spot at the yoga mat and I, and I wander back over to Travis and kneel down next to him and get in a perched, perched position and just check in with him again. And he was sort of moaning and making noises and it was dark in the room, but the mushrooms had kicked in enough where I, I, I had started to, to develop night vision. Because again, you, your eyes become so sensitive to light 
that when you're tripping and you're tripping hard, the psilocybin gives you like night vision. You can, you can see very clearly in the dark. And I remember looking at Travis's face. He was lying flat on his back and he almost had, his eyes were closed, but he almost had like a light on his face. Like his face was being illuminated by some light source that I couldn't perceive. But his eyes were closed and he was kind of moaning and it looked like he was dreaming. And I asked him, how you doing? You okay? And I'll never forget, he just, he just moaned, no, no. And at this point I took my, I took my hand, my right hand, and I placed it on his forehead. And I said, talk to me, brother, what's going on? What, what are you experiencing? What's going on? And he couldn't articulate be any further than, than what he had just said, but he just continued to repeat, no, no. And again, his eyes were closed and his moaning and his, his, it started to become more prominent. He started to kind of writhe around a little bit and all of a sudden he started to become very agitated. He started to with ever-increasing volume and aggressiveness, he started to say, what the fuck is going on? And he just kept repeating that over and over again to the point where he was... It started out as just a, at room volume, he said it, and then by eventually he was yelling it. And it was around this time that he began to vomit and vomit with force. Like, it was like exorcist. Like, it was just, I mean, it came out... It was projectile. Now, immediately after the first eruption, I, I wanted to get him on his side for obvious reasons. I didn't want him to aspirate, to choke. And I rolled him over onto his side, and he just begins to, to devolve into madness. He's making sounds. He just continues to say, what the fuck is going on in between purging? And he's beginning to have a hard time articulating himself. He's, he's beginning to have a hard time speaking, which is normal. I was, go, I was beginning to go through the very same thing. I still had my hand on his, on his head, and I was just saying to him, Brother, I know this is weird. I know this is weird. Just keep it together. Hang in there, brother. I know this is strange. Just, you'll be okay. Just keep it together, man. But he just, he just kept, he kept throwing up. And at this point I was, I was, I was all right. I was maintaining my coolness, my calm. I was collected. I was calm. I was worried. And I knew at this moment that this was not going to be a peaceful transcendental evening for me. This was going to be an evening of taking care of my brother here. But I still, I wasn't. Worried. I didn't think he was in any serious danger, and I figured we'd, we'd be able to salvage this evening with no serious consequences. But at a certain point, he started to say something to me that really alarmed me. In between his, his continued vomiting, he started to say to me, I'm dying. I'm dying. I can see the light. I'm dying. Now you got to understand, I'm coming up on 14 grams too. I am coming up on a half ounce the same as him. 
and I'm feeling it's starting to overwhelm me as well. I mean, I'm keeping it together, or I'm trying to, but here one of my closest brothers is laying on the couch. He's starting to lose consciousness. He's intermittently vomiting with force. He's moaning, he's wailing, and now he's starting to say that he's dying. And he can see a light, and he's leaving. And I'm, my, my calmness is starting to go away. I'm starting to become frightened. Because I'm, I'm beginning to realize that this... I mean, you got to understand, at this point, we're not even an hour in. We're not even close to peaking yet. And, and it's become incredibly clear to me that this is beyond my scope of being... I can't, I can't take care of this guy. I mean, I, I'm going to be... It's going to be just enough for me to take care of me. I can't take care of another human being right now. I am in no state. And I, and, and I, didn't, we, I didn't think to bring a trip sitter with us because I've never needed one. But again, I just didn't factor in bringing in an outsider, somebody who's never done this. I just... This is all on me. And, and you have to understand at this point in the experience, this is all going through my head. While my friend is on the couch and he's falling apart... I'm starting to go through this whirlwind, the, these scenarios in my head that like, you know, what have you done? Look at you, you fucked this all up and you've brought, you've brought this person in that you love and now he might die on your couch and what is wrong with you and how irresponsible of you. And I'm grappling with all these feelings and this, this guilt and this, and, th and then I start to think to myself, what if he dies on my couch? What if this guy dies on my couch? Not just... I've brought somebody into this, but, and, and they're not handling it well, but what if he loses his life here? There could be severe consequences for this, aside from just the guilt of, of essentially killing my friend. I'm starting to lose my cool at this point. I'm starting to come apart. And in a bout of selfishness, I started to say to him, Travis, don't do this to me, brother. Don't do this to me, man. Keep it together, man. Don't fall apart on me. You're a badass. Do not do not do this. But he just kept vomiting. He kept sputtering. I'm dying. And he was losing life in his body. He was he was starting to deflate and collapse, if that makes any sense. He was laying on his side, but he his respiratory senses, he was starting to, he was really slowing down. Because psilocybin, especially at high doses, is incredibly, I mean, to say that it's powerful is like, a, you know, doo -doo -doo, but like, no, seriously, like it, it is, it will shut you down and it will absolutely destroy you. And he, it really seemed like the life was leaving his body. And I started to become really afraid and the fear started t to take hold in me. Now, while all this is going on, I should mention that I had a 16 month Rottweiler in the house. It's my, my dog. He's a Rottweiler. His name is Lewin. And he's the most wonderful, loving dog. But he's still, he's still a pup at this point. And he started to, my dog started to become very agitated with Travis and what was going on with him. And something about the way that Travis, everything, my dog just became very confused about the whole situation. And for some unknown reason, while Travis is laying on my couch and absolutely falling apart, my dog 
climbs up on my on Travis and starts to like hump him. Don't ask me why. He, he but that's what he did. He started to like aggressively like hump him. So I am trying to keep Travis on his side and then also get up and grab my dog by the collar and pull him off of my friend and keep it was weird the way my dog was like becoming magnetized to Travis like aggressive he wasn't biting him or anything but just like all over him and then once I pulled my dog off of Travis there's vomit all over the floor my dog begins to eat the mushroom laced vomit and at this point I, I started to lose my shit I started to just lose my fucking mind and it became clear to me I, I can't deal with this I can't deal with this I need help I need help I need help <clears throat> in a last ditch effort I try I, I tried to get Travis and prop him up and I attempted to walk him around the house I don't know if that makes any sense but somewhere in my mind I thought I need I, I need to keep him moving I need to keep him talking and I need to keep him off his back. Now, as I said earlier, when I was describing Travis, he's a big man. He's solid. He's only 5'6", 190, and that may not sound like a big guy, but he is a power lifter. He is just built. He, I mean, he's dense. And I tried picking him up off the couch and throwing his arm over my shoulder, and he was just dead weight. And he just went down to the floor like a stone. He could not. This was a man that can put 600 pounds on his back and squat it. But he could not support himself under his own weight right now. And I, and I kept saying to him, Travis, please, brother, please stay in this life. Do not do this, man. Don't do this. Stay here. Walk with me. Keep talking to me. You're going to be okay. But he just kept, he just kept circling and spiraling downward. And I couldn't seem to control my dog. He was just, he became, he became incensed and, and aggravated at what was going on with Travis. And he was cle clearly confused. And now my dog had started to eat his mushroom-laced vomit. And now I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, God, is now is my dog going to start tripping? Is he going to go through psilocybin toxicity or something? I don't know how dogs respond to mushrooms. I'm losing my mind. My life is burning down around me at this point. And I realized I need to call for help. I, I need somebody here now. So I go, I grab my phone, um, I turn it, I, I unlock the screen. Now, when you're under the influence of psychedelics at high doses, utilizing technology is, oh, it's so difficult. It is so difficult to figure out what's going, because it isn't just utilizing the technology. There's a pronounced feeling of confusion. Like I grab my phone and I, 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 I knew that I needed help and I knew I needed to call for help, but I wasn't exactly sure how to do it. And you're constantly forgetting about why you're doing what you're doing. It, 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 it's very difficult at doses like that to interact with corporeal world, if you will. After staring at my phone for what felt like hours, I managed to dial 911 and I hit the call button. And then I hear, 911, what's your emergency? And it was then that I knew that this was no longer a joke, that this was for real. And shit just got real. And this is, this is not going to end well. So at this point, the, the mushrooms are really starting to kick my ass too. And 
I am experiencing dry mouth so prominently that I'm having a hard time speaking. The, the operator's asking me what's going on, and I can barely speak to her. I said, my friend and I took some drugs. I think he's dying on my couch. I need an ambulance here now. She said, what did you take? I said, mushrooms. She asked me, how long ago did you do this? I said, I have no idea. I have no idea when we did this. I just, stop asking me, I just need help. Send an ambulance here, I need help. Now, as I'm on the phone with the operator, I started to have this really paranoid vision in my head that the ambulance was gonna show up, EMTs were gonna show up for Travis, great, fine, yes. But along with them, responding law enforcement officers were gonna show up. And when they show up, when the law enforcement officers, when the police show up, they're gonna wanna talk to me and figure out what the hell happened. Where'd you get the mushrooms? They're gonna start asking me all kinds of questions. They're gonna take my phone, they're gonna go through my phone, they're gonna see these, these communications with people, where I got the mushrooms from, search history on my phone, and I'm gonna end up in handcuffs and in a jail cell by the time the night is over with. This is all just paranoid delusion at this point, but in my mind, this is what is going on. So I wander into the kitchen, I'm still on the phone with the 911 dispatcher, I wander into the kitchen, and I walk over to the sink, I fill up a pot of water, and I take the phone, still on the line with the dispatcher, and I put the phone into the water and destroy it so that when the police show up, there's no phone to go through and there's no evidence. <laughs> and I didn't have any more. Mu the mushrooms that we took that night, we, we consumed everything that was in the house. I never kept my surplus of mushrooms in my house. I always kept them at a separate location. And whatever I was going to take for the night, that's all I brought with me. So there were, there were no drugs in the house or anything. Now, after I destroyed my phone, I, I'm thinking I, I'm so confused, and, and, I, and I don't I don't recall if I gave the dispatcher my address. I think I did, and I'm aware that they can probably just GPA they can trace the call, the location of the call. But I'm not certain. I, I don't I don't know, and I really need to ensure that help is on the way. So after I destroy my phone, I, I leave my house. I go outside. I shut the door behind me, and I and I run over to my neighbor Mike and Beth's house. I knock on the door, my neighbor Mike comes to the door, he kind of cracks it open because he's not sure who it is and it's late, and he sees me and he goes, hey Mike, what's going on? I said, listen Mike, my friend and I took some mushrooms this evening, we took a real high dose, I think he's dying man, we need, I need, we need an ambulance, can you please call 911 and send an ambulance to my house? He said, yeah, sure, no problem, okay. So I just as quickly, I run my ass back to my house. Now, as I said before, when I left my house, I closed the door behind me. That I'm sure of. When I got back to my house, however, the door was open. I go inside. Travis is gone. And my dog is gone. Nowhere in sight. The meditative transcendental music is still playing on the stereo. There's vomit all over the floor. And I am tripping my balls off and now the ambulance is on its way law enforcement's on its way and I don't know where anyone is at or what is going on I'm losing my mind so I wander outside the house and I'm trying to find some traces of, tra of Travis and my dog I just start yelling for my friend 
I start yelling for Travis. I start yelling for my dog, Lewin. Now, my, my neighbors, I had some neighbors across the street, and they were kind of night owls, and they like to stay up and drink and work on their cars or whatever. And as I'm yelling for my friend Travis, I just hear, Shut the fuck up! What the fuck is going on over there? <laughs> I, I, I was so concerned with what was going on. I didn't even respond. I just kept yelling. And then all of a sudden, I don't remember if I heard him or seen his silhouette first. I don't remember what came first, but I spotted Travis way down my street. I just seen his silhouette and I could hear him mumbling and just making sounds. And he was just trotting down the road with his arms at his side, just in a, in a daze. And then behind Travis, I seen my dog, Lewin, maybe 50 or so yards behind him, just trotting behind him following Travis. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so at this point, I'm, I'm feeling, I feel better that he is on his feet and he's, he's walking. I'm like, okay, you know, that I feel better now that he, he's, mo- he's mobile. He's moving around. I'm feeling pretty confident that he's not going to die. So honestly, at this point, now my bigger, my bigger concern is getting my dog. So I, I am barefoot. I run down the dirt road, maybe four or five houses down from my house to catch up to my dog. I catch up to my dog, Lewin, my Rottweiler. I grab him by the collar and I can still, I can see Travis. He's, he's another few houses up, just trotting, trotting along. I figure the ambulance, will, the, the cops will be, they'll get here soon. They'll, 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 they'll wrangle him. I'm not going to worry about him. He's okay. Now, right at about the time I get a hold of my dog, I see the headlights turn down my street. It's local police department. Now, they came from the other direction, so they, they didn't pass by Travis. But I got, I got a hold of my dog, and I just stood there and waited for, for, the, for the police to, to pull up alongside me. Young guy pulls up in, a, in, a, in the car, rolls down the window, asks me, what's going on tonight, man? And I'm standing there barefoot, holding my dog, tripping my ass off on a half ounce. And I just said, <laughs> just kind of put my arms up, shrug my shoulders, just said, you know, I don't know. My, <laughs> my buddy and I took some mushrooms tonight and I, he's just, you know, he's just not handling it real well. He needs some help. He's like, all right, well, listen, can you can you get your dog and go back down to your house and I'll try and get your friend and we'll, we'll meet back down at your house. I said, yeah, okay. So I get my dog and I go to start walking him back down to my house, but he doesn't want to go. He wants to keep following Travis. And he's starting to, again, this whole night has been really weird. So he's just, my dog is disoriented and he starts to become a little aggressive. Kind of starts to growl at me. So, at this point, I had to pick my dog up. I had to pick him up. He's 90 pounds. I had to pick up my Rottweiler and carry him 200 yards barefoot on the gravel road back down to my house because he wouldn't cooperate and wouldn't walk with me. So I had to actually physically pick him up and walk him back to my and carry him back to my house. And as I'm carrying my dog back to my house, I'm just thinking, what the fuck is wrong with you, Mike? How did you get yourself into this bullshit? You could just be sitting here by yourself right now, peacefully enjoying this half ounce. Instead, your entire life is burning down around you. The cops are here. You're carrying your dog. It was a nightmare. 
So I get back down to my house. I get my dog secured in my bedroom. I got a dog gate. I get, I get him secured back there. And right about this time, I hear a knock on the window on the front of my house. I got a big, I had a big porch on, on the front of my house, big wraparound porch. And I walk out of my bedroom and I just see a bunch of flashlights. And the front door is open and I had a screen door. And I, there was an officer standing on, on, on the porch just kind of waving me out saying, come on out, come on out here, come on, bud. And I'm thinking, fuck, fuck. Man. At this point, I'm peeking. I, I'm peeking right now. And I don't know how many police officers are standing on the porch. I put my hands up because I did not want to be a statistic. You know, crazed man on mushrooms, you know, makes, makes sudden moves and gets shot by law enforcement. <laughs> So I put my hands up in the air and I slowly just come out of the house. I'm, I'm saying, don't shoot. I'm not armed. Don't shoot me. And they're going, we're not going to shoot you, man. Come on out here. <laughs> and um, in the driveway, the ambulance is backed up. They're loading Travis in. They got him on a stretcher. They're loading him into the ambulance. <clears throat> There's a handful of police cars in my driveway. And they start asking me questions about what's going on. I just want to say right up front, to my surprise, law enforcement was actually really cool about the whole situation. They didn't screw with me. They didn't hassle me. Um, you know, I did tell them there was no other drugs in the house and everything was gone, but they didn't search my house. They didn't take my phone, my broken phone at this point. They, they did really didn't care. This was a really basic routine call for them. You know, I own this home. I'm a taxpayer. They, they just, it wasn't a big deal to them and they were really cool. But I'm standing on the porch, and one of the one of the officers starts asking me. He said, "Have you ever done this before?" And I said, "Yeah, I've done this before." And he said, "Has your friend ever done this before?" I said, "Yeah, he's done this before. Not, it's been a while, and not quite like this, but yeah, he he's he's done this." And he said, "He said, well, how much did you take tonight?" I said, "A half ounce." And he said, "You split a half ounce?" I said, "No, we both took. We each took a half ounce." He said, "Holy shit!" Even he knew that was a lot. So he said, okay. He said, well, just curious, why are, you, why are you covered in blood? I said, what? And I looked down, and sure enough, my undershirt and my shorts were covered in blood. And it, I was wearing all white, too. I had white basketball shorts on and a white undershirt. And I was covered in blood. And I said, uh, I don't know. Now, I, later, I, I put two and two together. What must have happened was while... While I was trying to pull my dog off of Travis when everything was starting to kind of fall apart, he must have, my dog, his tooth must have nicked me or something. Psilocybin, it, it, it acts as a vasoconstrictor. LSD is the same way. And at super high doses, your blood pressure is way up, right? So if you get nicked, if you cut yourself, I mean, blood will just it'll just spray out of you with, with, with intense pressure. So my dog must have nicked me with his tooth when I was trying to pull him off. And, and then I just must have been like wiping it all over myself unconsciously. But the officer said, well, do you, do you need medical attention or anything? I said, no, I don't think so. He said, well, just the ambulance is here. Why don't you come over, sit in the ambulance, let the EMTs check you out and, and we'll go from there. So I said, okay. So I get over to the ambulance, I step up inside, 
Travis is strapped down on a stretcher and he is just going bananas, writhing around or trying to, making sounds, engaged in, in what's referred to as glossolalia, which is like speaking in tongue. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever heard somebody under the influence of psilocybin engaging in glossolalia. But I will tell you right now, watching somebody in the depths of like a psychotic episode from, from psilocybin or from psychedelics, it's a spooky thing. It's not, it's not like anything you've ever seen before. Not like alcohol, not like benzos. There is no other drug or, or a drug experience that produces this kind of peculiar effect in a person. It was like Travis was possessed, but not like in like a stereotype, like a demonic way. It, it was just, it was weird. It was really weird. And um, I sat down in the EMT and they started asking me some questions to determine my level of lucidity because they're looking at Travis and we took the same dose. They're looking at him and he's losing his mind and I'm calm and collected. I can walk. And, and I sat down and they, I'll never forget the questions they asked me. They said, all right, um, how many, how many quarters in a dollar? I said, four. I said, who's the president of the United States at the time? I said, Donald Trump. He said, do you know what day it is? And I said, well, I said, um, we did this Saturday evening, you know, and I said, that was a few hours ago, I think, roughly. So it's probably Sunday morning at this point. And they said, okay, this guy's fine. This guy's all right. And the EMTs are asking me, you know, did, did he, did your friend take any other drugs? Did he consume alcohol, anything? I said, no, nothing. And they said, well, you seem okay. Do you want to, do you want to ride with him to the, to the hospital? And this is probably a stupid answer, but to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to hang around my house anymore. The, the cops were still kind of just swarming around the house. They weren't in the house, but they were just, their presence was there. I'm peeking, I'm tripping balls. I just wanted to get away from my house. My dog was secured back in my bedroom. I just, I just wanted to get out of there. So I said, sure, I'll ride with him. Not knowing that I was going to be billed for the ambulance ride after the, <laughs> after the fact, but whatever. I rode with my friend to the, to, to the hospital. And it was funny, the EMTs were asking me some questions and stuff while I was while I was riding down there. I remember the one EMT asked me, he said, I'm just curious, what, what does an ounce of mushrooms go for these days? And I, I said, dude, I said, I, I, I can't answer that question, bro. I have no idea, man. I don't know. And honestly, there was like, I was still super paranoid that like he was trying to collect information for the police or something to show some, to demonstrate some evidence that I bought. I, I don't know. I just, I... I my friend was in front of me. Travis is in front of me, still like losing his mind. I, I just anything beyond basic pleasantries. How's your evening going? I I, <laughs> I wasn't interested in, in engaging anything further. Um, but I I was just curious. I asked the EMT. The EMT. I said just out of curiosity, how often do you come across uh, calls like this where people have consumed mushrooms or other psychedelics and and they they you know they're calling for help? I said never never it's always alcohol or or opiates he said never never i don't i don't we've never responded to calls like this so okay i was just curious so we get to the hospital and up to this point travis hasn't shown any degree of lucidity at this point he i mean he's animated but it's like there's nobody home right but the whole time, I'm like, I'm trying to talk to him, you know, I was just reassuring him that he's going to be okay, that he's all right. 
I also kept telling him that there is that there is a divine consciousness that loves him. The weirdest and potentially spookiest moment, though, came when we were taken out of the ambulance and we were about to be separated. Travis was on the stretcher. They, the EMTs, put me in a wheelchair. And I wasn't sure why I kept talking to him because I wasn't getting any answers or any communication from him. But just before we were separated at the hospital, I said to Travis one last time, Travis, are you okay, brother? And he sat up and he looked me right in the eye and he said, I'm good, brother. I love you. And then he laid back down and he went back into his psychosis, so to speak. The EMTs took me to a room. They took Travis to a separate area. Some nurses came in, checked me out. We joked around a little bit, laughed. One of the older nurses made a joke. She said, she started laughing. She said, I didn't even think people took mushrooms anymore. He said, oh yeah, yeah, they do. But I, I was fine. I was okay. And after a little while, I, I don't remember if I just wanted to stretch my legs or if I had to go to the bathroom or what it was, but I got up and I wandered out to the hallway in the hospital. And there was Travis standing in the, standing in the hallway. He was in a hospital gown. And we started walking toward one another. And I had this big smile on my face. <laughs> and he had this... I mean, it was a smile, but like this just... This look on his face. Like, what the fuck just happened, dude? What just happened, bro? And I was just kind of shaking my head. Like, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, dude. I know, right? You know, like this, this unspoken thing um, that that only somebody who's been in into that place, that realm, can can resonate with. But I gave him a hug, and um, we just kind of—I mean, there there was only so much we could say in that moment. I was happy to see that he was on his feet again, that he was lucid, that he was conscious, that he was all right. But we just kind of shared this moment where it was just like, yeah, dude, I know. That was fucking insane. That was insane. And I asked him briefly, I said, well, what's the last thing you remember? And he said, the last thing I remember was laying on your couch. I was staring up at your ceiling fan, which was, it was on at the time. So I was looking at your ceiling fan and it like turned into a UFO or something, man. I don't know. And I, that's the last thing I remember was, was looking at your ceiling fan and he had told me that he had visions of death, of ascending lights. He had told me that he had seen his brother, who had passed away some years earlier. Inside the psilocybin experience, he had this entire thing that played out. It's, it's hard beyond that to further comment on it, because it was very particular and special for him, and... He told me that he's seen, like, the history of, of everything, of life, like, everything transform. He told me that he, if he thought of a landscape, he could immediately tra be transported there. 
you know, and, and, and I always love to listen and talk with Travis about this experience because to this day, he's the only person, he's one of the only people who has been there with me. You know, everybody else, you know, no, no one else has been there. And I'm not just talking about, you know, a half ounce. I'm talking about the particular strain of mushrooms that I had, which were of the highest quality and caliber and potency. I, I don't know anybody else personally that, that without question has done that and been there and experienced it. But seeing Travis in the hallway at the hospital in, in his hospital gown, it was funny. It was, he didn't tie it, he didn't tie it up in the back. So his, his ass was just hanging out, just breathing. <laughs> and one of the nurses came up to Travis and said, and she was like laughing and giggling when she said it, but she said, you might want to tie up your, your hospital gown in the back there. You're, you're giving everybody, <laughs> you're giving everybody a show. <laughs> he kind of laughed. He kind of laughed and kind of, okay. And he tied it up. And um, we kind of briefly discussed how we were going to get home from the hospital and everything like that. And um, he went back to his room and I went back to mine. Now, due to some things that I had told the EMTs about Travis, they ended up keeping him and observing him for a slightly longer period. I'm not going to go into what those details were, but he ended up staying for a few hours longer than I did for observation. So I had to I had to arrange for a ride home. At this point, it's you know three, four o'clock in the morning. I'm laying. I'm in my room in my hospital room, and one of the nurses brought me a phone to arrange for a ride. Now I don't know why I did this. The reality is, in retro in, in retrospect, it was it was divine hand here it was Hashem arranging the pieces but without thinking about it I called my dad not comprehending how I was going to explain any of this to him and as soon as I hit call and I heard the phone start to ring I immediately thought to myself wait a minute what the hell are you doing why are you calling your dad how are you going to explain any of this to him but it was too late the phone started to ring and by the time I was having these thoughts, he answered the phone. And in a groggy voice, he answers, Hello? And I said, Hey, Dad. It's Michael. Um, I, I, I just want to say right off, right off the bat, I'm at the hospital. I'm okay. He said, Well, what, what happened? What happened? What's going on? Are you all right? What, what, what happened? Were you in a car accident? I said, and, and again, I didn't know how to succinctly explain this to him in a matter of minutes over the phone. I'm on the hospital's phone. I, I just wanted him to know I was okay. But I said, if, if, you can, if you can come down here and pick me up, I'll explain everything to you. And he was like, I could tell he wanted answers, obviously. I just called him up in the middle of the early morning, woke him up and told him his son's in the hospital and he needs a ride home wouldn't disclose anything further he said all right all right just give me give me a, give me an hour or so I gotta get dressed I'll be there he said, okay so I got off the phone with him and I, I was simultaneously unsure as to how I was gonna explain all of this tactfully nervous ab about what my dad was gonna say but also I remember laying in the hospital bed and I was so comfortable I was so comfortable I just wanted to close my eyes I was still tripping really hard 
but I was comfortable and I just, I just wanted to go to sleep. I was tranquil, tranquil and peaceful and I just wanted to close my eyes. A short while later, my dad shows up. He walks into the hospital room and he, he sits down on a, on a chair opposite my bed. And he didn't say anything. He was just waiting for me to explain what the hell was going on. Now, again, up to this point, my dad had no idea that I was experimenting with LSD and psilocybin. He, furthermore, he didn't understand any of this stuff. You know, my dad would drink a beer, maybe smoke a joint when he was younger, but this psychedelic stuff, he, he was too young. He, he missed out on My dad was born in 62. And so he was just a boy during the 60s. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't understand any of this. But what I did was I took this opportunity to explain to my dad that I now understood that there was a God, that there was divine intelligence and divine creation behind life. You see, up to this point, I had been very reticent to accept any sort of spirituality and certainly no understanding of monotheistic creation or divinity behind life. My dad and his wife were were Christian and I was raised in a Christian household and I never took to it. I, I never accepted it and for most of my adolescence I was very I was very reticent to any interpretation of spirituality without evidence. It was very evidence-based. Skeptic. But the couple of years of LSD experiences and my psilocybin experiences up to this point had shown me otherwise. They had shown me that I was wrong. Now, I still didn't have any direction as to what that spirituality was. I still didn't have any guidance, so to speak, on what all of this meant. I was still very confused about everything. But what I did feel confident in that was that there was more to life than what we perceived as a species, that there was divine intelligence and divine creation behind life. And I utilized this opportunity to explain to my dad that through these mushroom experiences that I now understood what he was trying to tell me all these years. Now again, it's four o'clock in the morning. He just got woken up by his son who's in the emergency room. He has no idea what's going on. All this talk of mushrooms and cosmic divinity. He, he didn't understand any of this. He had no idea what the hell was going on. Honestly, he was just pissed off. <laughs> he was just really irritated, which I totally understand. But he told me to get my shit and let's get out of here. I followed him out to the parking lot. We got in his truck and he began to kind of further interrogate me as to what the hell is going on. And I kept saying, you know, the mushrooms, the mushrooms. And he said, I don't understand what you're talking about. Mushrooms, what does that mean? And then I began to kind of explain to him the last couple of years of my life and what I had been doing. Now, the mushroom thing he didn't understand. But the moment he comprehended what I was saying was the moment when I mentioned the three-letter acronym LS. That my dad comprehended, and as soon as I made the mistake of mentioning LSD, he became very upset. 
He started to yell at me, ask me what in the hell I was thinking, screwing with my consciousness, screwing with my brain. He began to repeat a lot of the common tropes and myths about burning holes in your brain and collecting in your spine and all this kind of nonsense. He was pissed. He'd say to me, you know, smoking a joint is one thing, but what you're doing, you're destroying yourself. And having the experiences I had just had over the last couple years, I knew that he was wrong. And I tried to talk to him and I tried to reason with him. And I said, I made the mistake of saying, Dad, I've got some literature. If you just take a look at it and read it, that pissed him off even more. I also was, I was still tripping very hard. And I was speaking very informally to him. I kept calling him man and dude. Which <laughs> he said, he said, Listen, he said, I'm not man, I'm not dude, I'm your father. <laughs> but this clearly wasn't the time to have this conversation. He dropped me back off at my house. It was an awkward parting of ways, to say the least. I went inside, found my bewildered dog <laughs> back in my bedroom. Yeah, he had the biggest look of confusion on his face, like... What in the hell did you just do this evening? What the hell was that all about? I was so glad to be home, although the house was a mess. There was still puke all over the place. Things were knocked over. But I just, I I went into my bedroom, took my dog, crawled into bed, and just shut it all off. That experience was a huge wake-up call for me. I didn't, I I didn't, it wasn't a mistake for me to take doses like that, but what was a mistake was to bring someone else into those experiences and into those realms. See, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was fulfilling a path. I was fulfilling a destiny, a calling. And there are very few people in this world who are prepared and cut out to be true psychonauts to fully engage with the psychedelic experience and bring back artifacts and explore the headspace and explore and interpret the cosmic divine as vessels. There are very few people on this planet who can truly do that. And I, and I, through the grace of God, I am thankful to say that Hashem has blessed me with these gifts. Most other areas of life, I'm, I'm very standard or even substandard I'm, I'm, I'm very mediocre but the area in which God has blessed me is with this spiritual intelligence and in exploring the psychedelic space Travis and I still from time to time we we uh, we reference the the Cinco de Mayo experience I know it was it was a life-changing event for him and it was a life-changing event for myself as well But for me, this still was only the beginning. The summer of 2018 was my deepest year with regard to investigating the psychedelic experience, and this May 5th experience was the catalyst to what was a very deep and powerful summer where the foundation was laid as to where I would would go spiritually from here. And I can't be more thankful for these experiences, and I can't be more thankful that Travis was okay, that we walked away from it without any harm, any legal consequences, 
Travis and I experienced what, what most people never will. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Baruch Hashem. <laughs>